hey, hey, welcome to your weekly Corner Spatey. It's the 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 Monday episode. We were delayed with the other episodes. So this is this is the free one. If you're confused, this is this is the one that you get for free. Uh, if you want that good paid stuff, go go to our Patreon and pay us. Yeah, this is an intro. It's me, it's Kieran. Hi, how's everyone doing? Are you doing all right? Yeah, cool. I'm joined by Nick. Hey. And also Rob. I'm doing fine, thank you. Oh, good, good. <laughs> oh, that just reminds me of us watching Eurovision and you responding to everyone who came on screen to say hello. That was adorable. <laughs> I watched that. I watched back the VOD. I, I, I went through the, the, the video on demand on our Twitch. You should look at our Twitch to get like highlights and stuff. And it is just funny watching it without the audio for Eurovision via the stream because it is just Rob every every so often is going hello <laughs> so I, I mean you have to you have to personally greet every person who comes into the mm. you know into the uh in the live feed you know and there there possibly is enough that we can literally <laughs> greet all of them by by username so no, that I mean he was greeting he was greeting the presenters when oh. they got up, came on screen oh okay yeah <laughs> sorry well then I'd like to work as a greeter I think I could do that Oh yeah, there's another like post 2008 situation. You can, yeah. when all the the new economic crisis destroys podcasting, and we all mm. become greeters at uh, Lidl, I guess. Now that Lidl's doing that, are they doing? Do that? they do they actually do that? I was wondering which. No, they don't would. do that. But like in this new this new okay, yeah. oh, okay. economic yeah. crash world, yeah, yes. yeah. yeah, I could see that the make work program. Um, we we've got like a pretty we got a, two pretty big topics for you today. Uh, uh, our first topic is: um, Did you know Germany has solved its colonial past, <laughs> dusting dusting off of hands theatrically? <laughs> Which makes you wonder why they didn't do it sooner. Because if it's as easy as saying, <laughs> "Okay, we we did it and dust your hands off, dust your hands off theatrically," why did they take so long? <laughs> yeah. You know, what's really funny about this. Before we get into it, is that. Um, in 2000, I believe it was like 2016, 2017, when Germany recognized the Armenian genocide and they like first called it mm. a, a genocide, Erdogan got really pissed and was like, hey, yeah, why don't you recognize your own genocide? And then Germany was like, no. <laughs> so it took them like three <laughs> years to uh, like, it wasn't like an immediate no. It's like, yeah, we'll like, we'll like look into it. Okay. Like there's a fucking three year long research period of like you know uh uh like the uh like math equations going around the mm-hmm. heads of of like i guess at that time it was like zigma gabaga who was the foreign minister but yeah then handing off the math problem over to to heiko mas and then finally three years later it's like yes done we did it and it equates to what was it like 1.1 billion yeah i've seen 1.1 or 1.3 billion euros um that are <laughs> that's, the, that's okay, the figure yeah okay so there's three key words here genocide uh reparations oh and and an apology and basically germany has agreed to recognize it as a genocide so you know golf clap everybody they've just i guess we should <laughs> i think most people know what we're talking about we should do very quickly um yeah in then southwest africa which was a, a german colony um mm. the the german administrators killed hundreds of thousands of, I think it's about the number of mm-hmm. uh, the Herero and Nama tribes. It was a systematic extermination uh, because they um, partly in connection to, you know, an uprising against the colonial regime, but also just the, the logic of the, the colonial administration. They took, basically did like death marches out into the desert and 
you know, removed water, access to water or anything else to these people. Uh, fast forward the past hundred years and <laughs> Germany, oh, I mean, a lot about the colonial time in Germany is kind of yeah. swept under the rug or like, we just have, they, they have other things to, to think about. They, they, they lost Southwest Africa to the British in World War One. Yeah. And there's just kind of this kind of weird thing. We talked about it before with Kate when she was on the podcast um, that Germany tends to just like forget about everything pre-World War One or just like pre-World War Two even. Of just like, nah, we didn't have colonies. Ignore all those colonies that we had that we lost. Yeah. Mm. And there's like a ongoing, uh, you know, conversation or um, I don't know what to call it. Basically, you know, to what extent was this uh, genocide a precursor of the Holocaust or using the same logic? Or I mean, I think broadly most people agree or would at least accept that uh, the logic of the Holocaust and the German uh, Lebensraum idea is a, you know, at least tied to, you know, the European colonial system. Yeah, I was going to say, like, in general, like, you can, like, I, would, I wouldn't say that it was, like, solely this genocide that then <clears throat> to, like, precursor to it, rather that then it's the entire colonial project that was going on that Germany just, like, happened to get in to very late and then like was like mm. you know like i guess you gotta make it count everyone else is doing genocides you know right. um so so step into the situation our savior heiko moss um who announced <laughs> the other day the shortest of of short kings you know that he's yes. like five four <laughs> jesus i believe you yeah um so to say that Germany will formally, okay, so recognize this, um, you know, extermination as a genocide. This is a law, this is an ongoing process um, from, you know, descendants of those uh, affected um, activist groups putting pressure on the German government to, you know, pay reparations. Um, and so Germany has said they will formally apologize. I believe the president is going to Namibia to make a speech. Um, they will, so genocide, make an apology, but they're not paying reparations. So, and they're very clear about that because it's something like 1.1, I've seen 1.3 billion euros. That's like the, you know, the headline, like Germany will yeah. apologize for genocide and pay 1.1 billion euros. It's all like aid programs decided yeah. by between like the German government and the Namibian government. And plenty of people already have been like, so a bunch of, um, you know, activist groups in Namibia who are part of the, um, you know, negotiations have backed out because they're like, this isn't, this isn't what we, we want. This isn't the point. Whereas Germany can be like, you know, they already do a ton of economic aid for soft power reasons or whatever around the world. Then they can just say, well, this one's for that genocide we did. This is the genocide package. <laughs> but it's, it's also like, correct me if I'm wrong, this is like the amount of money they were spending before on aid programs. Like there actually isn't been a change. That sounds about right. I mean, I think it's a lot more in Namibia to be to be fair, but I mean, you know, you, I don't, you move some numbers around. I but. don't know. One point one billion euros for aid is not a lot of money over like, thirty years. Yeah, <laughs> like split over thirty years. <laughs> it's not even a lump sum. No, yeah, exactly. That's what the the negotiate <laughs> Heiko Maas, the master negotiator, will get you. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. That I I would guarantee that they like spend that much in 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 aid already. How much is that per year? Then I can't math. Jesus, uh, one point one 
billion. Uh, let me let me crack it. What's one tw- What's one thirtieth of a billion? I don't know. Like thirty three million. Oh, okay. Like, um. So I have a quote here. Hang on. So what is this aid program supposed to do? Uh, I have some some examples for you guys. So watch it just become a thing of just them putting like "we're sorry" posters everywhere. Honestly, it could be. Um, <laughs> so they have. Uh, quote, communities of Herero and Nama descendants, which form ethnic minorities in all of the seven affected regions. So these regions of Namibia where this took place are meant to be involved in the development of the specific projects. So pretty vague and like involvement will be had. Uh, and again, as an, as I mentioned before, um, most of these uh, individuals who have been lobbying the German government to do something about it have, you know, either stepped, have called to reject the deal. It still has to be signed, I believe, by uh, the Namibian Congress. Um, People have said that they plan to embarrass the German president when he comes to give this formal apology. Uh, It's by no means a done deal, but the German government says, and here's also a quote, uh, from their point of view, the German side's position is that it has negotiated the agreement with the Namibian government representing the country's population as a whole, and that deal does not stand or fall on the approval of Herero and Nama descendants groups. Oh, cool. Pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, there was protests in Berlin from these groups who live in Germany that were very mad about the um, this thing, you know, the, uh, the supposed deal. So that's... Um, I don't know. It feels just like very stereotypical of like a former colonial power is doing the thing that formal colonial powers do of, like you said, wiping their hands clean. And then now they can go along their merry way and, you know, be shit in a thousand other different mm-hmm. ways that they're already shit in. It's it's I'm trying to think of it like an equivalent of just like, I don't know the British tried to pay reparations to the damages they did to Native American communities and they negotiated that deal with, like, the White House and no one else. That would Mm. just be, like, the farcical kind of nature we're talking about here. I mean, like, that would be... I I mean, I, I can guarantee the only country that would do reparations dumber than this would be the U.S. Like... Oh. (laughs) <laughs> again it's not reparations you can't you're not allowed to use that word I'm not allowed to Heiko Moss is going to just like bust in the door and then I have to like kick a short king's ass I found like. the details by the way so these billion euros will be used toward this is I'm quoting from the Guardian here uh, projects relating to land reform rural infrastructure water supply and professional training what is professional training I, I don't know they're training the Namibians to be podcasters. Oh hell yeah! Okay. Well, then in that case, that case, the money's going to good use. Uh, um, yeah, I don't know. That's that is so fucking vague. Yeah, no, this is this is bad. This Fifty is- million of it will be used for setting up a foundation for reconciliation between the two states, including cultural projects and youth exchange. That just sounds like a massive tax break in the in the making. That's that's what I mean. It's not even like. I feel like it's just like one, like, again, it's like an aid package that Germany uses for its soft power anyway, that it's like, well, we got a, needs a, needs a catchy title this time. Let's call it the genocide. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we've, we've, we've put a like, yeah, we've, we've, we've reskinned, we've reskinned what we were already doing. I do like the idea of youth exchange and I'm looking forward to like, I don't know, some guy called like Jan's 
Jaeger just being like talking about the hand job he got Windhook or something just like <laughs> Namibian Erasmus guy that's just going to be like a whole new type yeah. of guy now I guess the thing that's kind um, of also like really weird about this too is that this is I mean this these aren't really related but this was um they opened up the homeboat form like relatively recently I mean I think it was actually like during Corona wasn't it and one of the main exhibits in it were like this it was this very uh, uh, it was this this exhibit on German colonialism that was in like the worst taste ever that you could possibly imagine, and um, there was weirdly enough like Jan Böhmermann did a really good like run through of this, like you know, got to give credit where credits due, of how like one there is like this building that is a like hearkening back to germany's colonial past you know the hohenzollern prussian whatever kingdom empire whatever and then internally within this hideous building is then a very unaware um like collection of these artifacts and whatnot so there was a call from like jan bumerman weirdly enough to like (laughs) like you know I don't think he like, I mean, cause he's like not radical, but it's kind of like the thing of like, damn, you should like think about this, you know, <laughs> instead of like the radical thing would be like, please give them them like their, their, their things back. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, people, we need, we need, we need to do an episode examining Jan Bobberman because he's like, <laughs> I don't even want to. It's not worth it. No one knows. Who he is uh, no. of I, I'm listening to that Rob giggle. Rob's down to do this. No, I'm always down to clown about I- Jan <laughs> Yeah. What he's just like he's just a, a a worse, more liberal, not funny version of John Oliver. There, boom, episode over. <laughs> there, like, we no, there's more. There's more to unpack here. We simply do not have time. No. <laughs> yeah, I, I do want to emphasize that there are two pretty clear demands from um again the Herrero and Nama the 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 groups representing the Herrero and Nama descendants and those affected which are direct payments which means reparations which again the German government has ruled out because it's all about the German government right like well we have this money so we're going to spend it our way we're not going to what give people money we we're gonna, we can't do that we're going to give you an aid program. It's mine. I spend it. <laughs> <laughs> and the second, of course, is the question of land reform, which is a pretty important question because mm. basically uh, since the German colonial time, that is when, and of course, also uh, during apartheid, when um, the area was controlled by South Africa, most of the land ended up in the hands of uh, you know, white people who yeah, own most of it. And that's still the case today. The government didn't. Um, the government has had. There's a. There's an article we can link to in the in the show description. The government since the 90s has basically not wanted to, you know, expropriate land. It's been a, well, if people want to sell, then people will buy. Like that's it. Um, and so it is funny that the German government says, yeah, we will do something about land reform, which is like, well, you kind of cause the whole land, you know, this whole uh, differentiation in who owns what land in the first place. So what is a project about land reform? It's probably just going to be like, damn, that sucks that all that all these white people own this land. Nothing we can do about it. <laughs> Moving yeah. on to the next back to, you know, back to the the, the club and Windhoek. I'm definitely expecting it to be just like a very like neoliberal like incentivized like like land reform is going to be like how to make more landowners but through like market mechanisms you know like it's going to be like a very like it's not going to be expropriating any any land it's going to be 
they're going to... What? Heiko Maas arrives to fanfare in Windhoek with a giant crate, and he's just like, yells who the German for who's horny for this one. The, uh, a raucous applause, and he cranks open the giant crate, revealing a three-headed Cerberus-style dog just simply labeled Airbnbs fucking everywhere. <laughs> and just lets loose on the city. Uh, the only yeah, that's thing what I, I envision. I mean, I think that this is, if there's a silver lining and like a good thing is that recognizing it as genocide is some step forward. Um, that same oh, yeah. article I referenced, uh, there are a lot of groups like in, especially uh, as far as I understand it, let's call it like the richer white neighborhoods of Namibia. Basically like their bookstores yeah, yeah, will have yeah. like a prominently displayed book about how like it wasn't a genocide. <laughs> so if like, <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. If, like at least this. it is one, like if the German government's like, even they're admitting it, then maybe that can trigger some, uh, some snowball effect. And this is an ongoing issue. There are groups pushing, pushing the Namibian government yeah. for land reform. It's the same. The, the uh, SWAPO has been the same party in charge since uh, independence in 1990. Um, and even they're kind of against recognizing it as a genocide because, you know, basically, I don't know. They're a, they're a conservative ruling party now. Um, they, they, I think they've said things like we don't want to open up the past and activists also, um, want to like they rejected a truth and reconciliation uh, committee offer from uh, from post-apartheid South Africa because I don't know they just said no so yeah there's there's an interesting I mean I guess guess to kind of like describe Namibian like white Namibians in particular if you if people are probably a bit more familiar with the in like maddening besieged mindset of Afrikaners in a post-apartheid south africa Mm. like a good deal of them are just especially in that what uh, western part that's called like orange something i can't remember but like in dutch like they they they're just like incredibly insane they're fitting their cars with flamethrowers because they're afraid of their cars being stolen and shit like that it's that but worse for like for namibia um yeah namibia's namibia's history is so strange but i i there definitely has to be a very innocent. This is one for the bonus feed, maybe. There has to be like an attempt, like attempting to be innocent documentary about like Germans who live in Namibia, uh, made by like DW or something that we have to watch. Well, there because. is one German who lives in Namibia. Um, oh? Do you guys remember a few years ago there was that guy who made like a solar powered oh yeah i remember i was uh, wondering if you were going to say this yeah a solar powered thing in the middle of of africa like a speaker yeah, in the middle uh, of the desert set that oh. played on repeat africa by toto dun, oh, for dun, fuck's dun, sake dun, 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 dun. he was yeah. a swimmer i believe yeah he's a german namibian <laughs> white german namibian, they actually it, like replacing yeah. the batteries is going to cost 100 million euros so that's what mo- <laughs> that's what most of the package is going towards <laughs> Um, well, the German oh. state is not, uh, they're not going to help that situation at all, but maybe, you know, some progress forward will, uh, will, will, um, you know, help, uh, progress the situation, uh, people fighting for land reform, for expropriation, for a more just and equal society. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe hopefully it can, it can be some, it can, uh, at least get out of the way of, of the, of those pushing in those, in that direction. Mm. I mean, I'd like to hope so, but 
I think we uh, all do. Should we uh, move on to our second and final, um, possibly, uh, uh, I don't know, one of the most insane stories I think that we have talked about on this show, and that uh, that also that includes anything that has to do with Italy. That includes anything of uh, uh, I don't even remember what we've talked about on the show the past two years. Yeah. According to that article, Berlusconi at one point, I, I, I trust him. <laughs> just, <them>. yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I feel anything that's yeah. just like insane is just has something that then's happened in Italy. But this is a, this is, maybe everyone, I don't know how everyone else has been finding it, but this for me has dominated like the kind of giant minority report RSS feed yeah. uh, reader that I have for like keeping up with the news. All stories of like what happened in Belarus this week, I guess, has uh, uh, yeah dominated all news stories. Should I uh, should I briefly say the details of what happened, the inciting incident? Please. Go for it, King. Yeah. So, a flight between I want to say Athens and Vilnius. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, was pulled down by. Um, air control in belarus basically stating you need to make an emergency landing they lied uh, in- by the way with they're like oh. there's a security <laughs> threat on board we'll get to that we'll get to that yeah, it I'm gets, sorry, it sorry, gets so ridiculous yes yeah yeah yeah. Oh, yeah yeah um yeah air traffic control in belarus while flying over belarusian airspace um which I guess the Earth is curved, so you have to do that. Ryanair, uh, Ryanair flight, by the way. <laughs> which I like. Ryanair I mean, flight. It, it wouldn't change depending on the uh, d- depending on the airline, but something about Ryanair is they're like, well, uh, the budget that dealt with this situation has been cut, so we're sure. Well, you know, we'll follow you. <laughs> we'll land in Minsk. Did anyone pay for the not being commandeered by a rogue <laughs> government package? It was just five hundred euros. You know, it was. <laughs> yeah, it was right there in the it package. Was, it it's your fault, under- really. Yeah. It's underneath the uh, extra baggage parts of the the checkout experience. No, no one saw that. You All actually right. get it for free if you if you check three bags, which is pretty good deal. <laughs> I gotta say, that's pretty good. Yeah, um, guys, it's, it's 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 always travel insurance, right? You never you think you never need it until you need it. <laughs> um, God fucking damn it! But all right, yeah. So as Rob has said, the call by Belarusian air, air control was, was fraudulent. There was no threat on board that they needed to immediately land for. And when they did land, uh, people were taken off the plane. There was no hubbub then, uh, as far as I understand. And while waiting to reboard the plane, that is when um, the KGB, <laughs> because it's still technically the KGB mm. in Belarus, which I love, um, Kidnapped a one. Uh, I'm going to need help with the last name Roman Protasheniev. I think is his last name. There you go. That one. Uh, our boy Romain um, was uh, kidnapped by. Was taken by the KGB as well as his girlfriend. Which mm-hmm. are, are we going to talk about the girlfriend because they've been dating for three months when this happened? <laughs> which like hell yeah, fucking hell. They, they, they had the conversation right? in the in the in the Athens airport. Like, where is this going? You know, are we? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I gave her my I gave her my class ring <laughs> on the plane ride. Another yeah, little tidbit. Where, where did steady. he go to school? I wonder. Another little tidbit. We're going. We're going Belarusian steady. <laughs> is um 
there were, according to the flight logs, 100. So like five people didn't get on the second flight, which is like, oh, so there were just three KGB agents like from Athens on the flight. Yeah, the best <laughs> one was there was a Greek dude who who was like one of the like, what, three people who were on the flight was just a Greek guy who was like, yeah, well, I was going to Vilnius, but like, I guess his like wife lives in Minsk. So he had no problem with getting <laughs> off in Minsk. <laughs> Maybe he's one of them. <laughs> he's just like, oh, OK, yeah, which was like one of the most Greek moments I think I've ever read in a news story. Yeah, I really love the... I, also, that's a type of guy, right? Mm. The Greek guy with a wife in Minsk, who yeah. for whatever reason is flying to Lithuania and not to... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? I have a girlfriend in Lithuania, but yeah, I'll, I'll see the wife first, I guess. <laughs> I, have, I have a girl in every post-Soviet country. Yeah. But um, yeah, so the uh, the the KGB takes a Mister uh, um, Roman uh, uh, Porashevich is his last name. I don't really like. I, I'm I not, pull it up? <laughs> I pulled it up just now and I forgot. And um, so the thing that then was the funniest part to me about this was at first that the very next day, um, uh, uh, um. I just forgot the leader of, of, uh, Lukashenko, Lukashenko. Yeah. Lukashenko. (laughs) Um, then tried to say that it was that Hamas, he got like, he got word of that Hamas like was, was hijacking the plane (laughs) Mm. and he needed to, he needed to down the aircraft because of that. And then the next day it changed and he was like, no, 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 actually I got a call from Switzerland saying that I had to like take the, the, the flight down and Radical then, romance separatists. And then it's just kind of like Lukashenko's kind of shut his fucking mouth in the last two days, and Russia has taken over the 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 um the discourse where uh, the UN envoy it makes it sound like it was happening on Twitter. Yeah, the UN the UN envoy to to the uh, uh of Russia like went and kind of defended Belarus, not really defended Belarus, but saying that then like what they did was like in their legal framework that. Um, you know, when, uh, Western countries did this, uh, to, um, what's his name in Bolivia? Yeah. When they did oh. it, they, they downed, it was Evo Morales. Evo Morales. Right? Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Evo Morales yeah. plane. They downed the because it, it was, too, yes, right? they were expecting yeah. that then, uh, Edward Snowden was on board trying to escape to Russia, which was not the case. But yeah, so this has happened before this and that and that. Mm -hmm. And he like so Russia has been defending the sense of what Belarus did is like within their legal framework, which, yeah, true, whatever. Um, And that immediate sanctions, which the European Union is threatening Belarus with, which there are already sanctions against Belarus, Mm -hmm. the EU is threatening to uh, strengthen these sanctions. Uh, Russia's saying that that's like a little bit overblown because Russia obviously is pissed off that then like their only method of getting goods into Europe, Belarus, mm, yeah. is uh, going to be further sanctioned. Um, the thing that then gets even weirder about this is because I think that everyone has seen that then the big thing is that this is a young 20, what, 26, 27 year old journalist. Yeah, yeah, 26. Who uh, you know has been he's been you know imprisoned by an authoritarian regime mm-hmm. for just you know reporting the news. This yeah. and that was and that. active in the. I mean, was an active figure, I guess, in the protest last year. Yeah, he had a Telegram channel that had two million, two yeah. million people on it. Count of a country that also, then is nine million. He was also present um, at Euromaidan. Euromaidan. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Um, 
the thing that then gets really fucking weird about all this is that uh, he is also one uh, was doing press for Azov Battalion <laughs> back in 2015. Yeah. So when he was 22 years old, he was an yeah, active yeah. member in Azov Battalion. And then the thing that yeah, Sorry. so yeah, pre woke period. The thing that then's even crazier is that then so there was like the first thing that then it was pretty like well known that he was doing like you know literally writing like Nazi zines in his fucking free time. Um, there was a lot of speculation and I think that we can kind of like confirm it too that he fought on the front lines with Azov Battalion and was like shot and injured and this and that and that there was his dad came out and said my son is proudly serving you know (laughs) alongside with Azov Battalion um, his dad uh, his dad has rolled that back being like when I said serving I meant like with the pen and paper. Mm. <laughs> Which, the pen is mightier than the sword. <laughs> Which the even keyboard. if that is... Okay, but he, here's the thing. Okay, here's here's the thing I want to get into like, this is discourse because people really pushing the Azov Battalion thing are like are somewhat unreliable sources. Mm-hmm. But but the thing that like uh, Belarusian like um, I guess the pro this guy press like Belarusian opposition is kind of like landed on is like splitting hairs on like no he didn't fight for the azov battalion he was just there like writing press for them was he, like, was making, he was making he was making pro he was making nazi poetry yeah, <laughs> yeah so he's like, that's not great either yeah. so <laughs> like, then so then in all of this all the speculation all this all that there have been now a string of pictures of him coming out just with like strapped up with like ak-74s <laughs> and shit like that um wearing shirts that have swastikas just blazing on them like it's nobody's yeah. fucking business and the best thing about it which um uh i'm like 99.9 sure radio free whatever the fuck it's called in mm. in ukraine and belarus did an interview with him proudly endorsing azov battalion where he had a so, like a like a, a pseudonym right isn't that? Yeah, no. yeah, 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 yeah. But the picture that yeah. is of yeah, yeah, yeah. him with the blurred out face is a picture of him. I, I just want to say, mm-hmm. because maybe the listener is having the same reaction, like when when you first, so like Lukashenko gets up and says like, yeah, he's a fucking Nazi. It's like, okay, okay. Yeah, well, yeah, like yeah. the same, like the same with the Hamas. Like, yeah, you just stick whatever, you yeah. know, you throw whatever at him. And then it's like, damn, you really was an asshole battalion. I like to imagine that like he has some friends or someone he served with who's like, they think he's a pussy nerd who was just a journalist. He was fucking doing it. Send, send, release the photos. So my okay. man, my man is fighting for what he believes in. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of stuff here. I, I okay. I want to, I want to catch on two things because one, I find the like weird kind of defense of him done by like pro I forgotten her name kind of press uh what's the leader in exile the youtuber's wife oh Svetlana Tishanovskaya explain so what's with the YouTube what's with the YouTube situation who is she you don't know who she is how long were you not there for the episode were you not there for the Belarus episode no. Okay. Yeah. You're well, then I guess we can. I guess we can. We can clear this up. So, uh, after the elections in Belarus, uh, which every opposition, like there was like forty opposition candidates, ranging from a YouTuber to uh, business people to bankers to this yeah. and that and that, uh, who were all arrested, and the YouTuber's wife. Svetlana Tishanovskaya became the sole person of the opposition who then immediately during the, like, I think actually during the elections fled to uh, Lithuania Lithuania, and declared herself 
the opposition leader of all of the opposition movements, but her husband's a YouTuber who has said on multiple occasions that if she were to have won the election, he will be instated as president. So she yeah, is yeah, not yeah. allowed to run. She is not allowed to be president. Then fast forward to then where we are today. She took over his. She took over his ticket yeah. when he was like trying to run, but he was arrested before the election could happen. Mm. So she's now, but she's like championed by some people. The CDU the fucking loves her. She spoke at yeah, the CDU's leader in party exa- Congre- yeah, she spoke Congress. Congress. <laughs> yeah. Macron leader just invited in her to yeah, G7. Yeah. So, but like, I go yeah. To so that that whole like the pro. Svetlana press, I guess, like that kind of like very... team Svetlana, if you will. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the uh, what I would call like the incredibly toothless opposition, the weird liberal toothless opposition to Belarus. Which let's let's not get it confused here. Lukashenko is terrible. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Lukashenko is an yeah. absolute piece of shit. And the thing that makes me so mad about all of this shit is that like. Um, in Lukashenko literally being just that dude who just like stumbles on his cock all the time and still is like somehow in power. This is like exactly one of those things. Like, like there's been like the stuff with, with Tish, uh, like is a, a completely irrelevant opposition who mm. the West is hailing as being the, you know, like, you know, uh, uh, like the democratic opposition, her own, like group is declaring her the leader of Belarus in exile, yeah, which is yeah. fucking psychotic. And on top of all of it, um, like Lukashenko doesn't have good relations with Russia. So it's like all of this is done within yeah. the sense of that then like depending on like how Lukashenko and Putin are feeling that week, it's not that like they have a really like strong ally in Russia. Russia has uh Belarus is back simply out of just like necessity and geography reasons, not because like that they're like allied ideologically with with Lukashenko, you know? Yeah. yeah. So there, there's Belarus is a very strange one, and I also just want to I want to draw I draw I want to draw attention to something about uh, Roman that's even if you don't believe the Azov Battalion thing, because I I, I can't get like. I can't get over the fact that like one of these kind of recurring jokes that we have about these countries is true. Like they're all like, yeah, they're all they're all Nazis. <laughs> every every time something Ukrainian or something Belarusian hap- like occurs on Euro vibes, you're just like, oh, members of Azov Italian, uh, quick joke or whatever. Like I made a joke to myself about that when I first read that. I was like, well, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's gonna just end up being an Azov Italian, and then reading like 20 30 minutes later of like oh god he actually was in Azov Battalion but even if you don't believe that because I think there's reason to call that into question I do want to draw attention to another group that he's a part of um and this is like unambiguously a part of this group he's uh uh, I don't think he was ever a leader of it or anything Mm. but uh he's a part so. Yeah, <laughs> imagine I'll if he get, was leader of the CIA. I will get to that. Um, he was a member of a Belarusian youth resistance group. That's uh, those words run- sound horrible together. <laughs> oh yeah, wait till you hear what's called. Uh, registered in the Czech Republic, um, it is a Belarusian nationalist group, a Christian democratic group. Um, it is called Young Front. Uh, Young front. front. <laughs> Fuck. Sorry. Uh, yeah, they're they're 
genuinely terrifying thing. Uh, let's see. Let's go to that controversy section, that sweet, sweet controversy section. In classic, all kinds of like post, post-Soviet, post-Warsaw Pact countries, the people they champion as like the correct Belarusians or the correct history of Belarusians were these leaders that existed in the interwar period that, surprise, surprise, all facilitated the Nazis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, like, this is this is the this is the really tragic thing about a lot of like resistance in Belarus and Ukraine. I think Ukraine is a bit more diverse. Um, I think a problem occurs with Belarus because the current leader Lukashenko is kind of like trying to claim he is the successor of communist hmm. like Belarus. Like it's very hard to have like a left opposition because he'll just go up to you and like put his thumbs up and you're like. okay yeah that's the thing is that russia like at at this un conference was like yeah we captured a neo-nazi this and that and that it's like oh you're like anti-fascist now since when yeah right this is yeah this is yeah it's classic cold war shit of our nazis are better than your nazis um but like the okay so all the resistance in a lot of these countries, and we said a lot of these things when we talked about like the the white and red, the white red white flag kind of people in Belarus, yeah, Nazi emblem, um, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the people who like want that version of Belarus are people who want like Orbán's Hungary or like PIS's Poland. Yeah, this this is their like model of like a good country and. I'm reminded of a quote by our by the Czech president, the drunk man himself, Zeman, uh, when describing the Ukrainian-Russian conflict. Cunt here, pussy there. Uh, <laughs> to describe the fact that both sides are just fucking terrible, and I hate this. Yeah, so, wise. Um, you know what? You know what they say about about you know wise Czech alcoholics who are also somehow the richest person in the country yeah. uh, no he's not the richest person oh no prime no prime minister is prime minister is of course yes yeah, yeah, yeah. but both this, alcoholics uh, though <laughs> but like can i read you a quote from um medusa that i quite liked yeah um so this is medusa is the only like uh, r- vaguely like russian eastern bloc kind of opposition group that hasn't like said He's definitely not Azov Battalion, or he definitely is. They're just kind of like, what we know, draw your own conclusions. But they did, an, they cite an interview that a Belarusian news outlet called Nasha Neva did with an anonymous Azov Battalion soldier about, hey, do you remember this guy being in the unit? So here's what the anonymous Azov Battalion soldier said, trying to remember uh, this guy, Roman, when he was like in the unit. I remember him from Urzov, outside Maripol, where Azov operated a training base. He was this young guy. Beletsky, the leader, didn't trust him because he showed up and started with, so where are all the other Belarusians? (laughs) Let me at him. (laughs) End quote. People figured he was collecting information, so there was never much trust and they didn't involve him in any operations. Hmm. He did a bit of basic training, took some selfies with a weapon at the shooting range, and probably realized that he wouldn't be joining the team, so he left. Did he fight? If so, I didn't I don't think it was for Azov. Because this is the other side of it. It was for the other more insane Nazis, the ones that you don't yeah. know yet. <laughs> because before this incident happened, 
he definitely wanted the people in his circle to think he was this cool. But I right. don't think he is. <laughs> I think he showed up to Azov Battalion. I find this very believable. He yeah. showed up to Azov Battalion, was very clearly like press, and they were all and just like I don't know. This this sounds like a white middle class person buying their first drugs. Like this <laughs> one <laughs> one drug, like, please. It's the always sunny in Philadelphia bit where Dennis is like, "How much do you want?" Is like one rock, <laughs> five hundred. Like, where are all my yeah? Where are all my Belarusians at? Like. Yeah, this because this guy is, but that I still think picks a very not great character. Someone who tried to get Azov Battalion to think he was cool. Yeah, that's but, definitely yeah. you know I I I feel I feel that struggle. <laughs> but what's the 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 quote from the anonymous um, Azov Battalion person said that he was collecting information? Is this like some intelligence uh, something going on here? What's that? What's that implicate? Is there any implication there? I guess my my reading of that was just if you're a member of Azov Battalion, you probably just don't trust anyone who isn't also a member of Azov Battalion. Like they don't have any, they probably just don't have any distinction between like genuinely curious journalists and moles working for Russia. They don't mm. see any distinction. They're like paranoid of all of them. Well, I doubt that he's a mole for Russia. I really Fair. legitimately think that he is. He is. Uh, 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 I have, I have, I have a few theories about this, but the one of them kind of will has to. I have to introduce this one thing of that. Then, with uh, back to Tishanovskaya, there was. I don't know if you've seen this. There's like this really weird thing of like these like Russian like pranksters who like pretended to be her on a Zoom call with the National Endowment of Democracy. Okay. And <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we got her. And oh man, I love Russian jackass. Let's they, go. <laughs> uh, they 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 published this call that they had. It's like it lasted about twenty minutes or so, and they were talking about how like <laughs> they doing the. They There's were, some Russian guy doing like female Borat. No, voice no, no. It was they, 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 they had they had a woman who was like a friend of theirs uh-huh. do it, and so they're like discussing with you know supposedly uh, uh, Tishanovskaya how they are going to assist her and give her all the aid that she needs so that then that she can get in contact with who she needs to get in contact with, how she then can build relationships between Ukraine and how she can build relationships between the Russian opposition, this and that and that typical you know U.S. power yeah. moves post you know. 1990s you know this is how regime change happens more so than the old strong-handed way of like the cia overthrowing your country and then like 20 minutes into it she's like oh like the person who's supposed to be here is like yes 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 well like i've been told I i look like shit and i want gucci and i want louis can i can you send me can you give me money so i can wear designer stuff i heard that's what people like and the head of ned is like yeah sure and the rest (laughs) the rest of the people on the call are like no 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 we can't do that like i think that we should move this call to like a different channel and then they start like you know like obviously showing that then the third joke they're like like you know someone else gets on the phone like this is the belarusian kgb we've heard everything that you've said blah 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 blah. and they just like one by one start leaving the call this and that and that but so like there is this like obvious thing that there is regardless of what like your opinion on the matter of it is svetlana tishnovskaya is this person who is picked by 
the, the West now at this point to be a Navalny figure yeah. because now they finally have this person. It's pretty clear that the channels have been opened up. I legitimately think that then uh, our good pal Roman is involved in this in some way because remember, he did have the largest um, uh, the largest telegram channel in Belarus for the opposition of 2 million people within a country of 9 million people. So everyone and their mom, it seems like, was maybe not their mom, but like, you know, Lots of Belarusians yeah. are tuned into this. Um, I think that like the methods of obviously doing that, you need to have you know a little bit of connections more so than just like word of mouth to do it. It's all like pretty speculative. I think the sense of like even if he did or didn't fight with Azov Battalion, there's obviously you know the United States is throwing so much fucking money left and right in Belarus. There's so many U.S. people on the ground, uh, not in Belarus, in Ukraine. There's so right, many yeah. U.S. advisors on the ground it kind of just goes into that direction. You know, that's the way that I see it. He got a flight from Athens to Vilnius. I'm just like, uh, uh, Svetlana Tiskanovskaya is in Vilnius at the moment. Like, you know, mm. it's, yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say that he's like a CIA op or anything like that. I don't think that things work like that. No, but I no, think that yeah. he has been like, I think he has been tapped by people to kind of serve this like media function um, with money that then is coming from like Western organizations, you know, for regime change. And I think that that's a yeah, pretty yeah. fair assessment to make. Yeah. Cause it, it's always the case that like Belarus, like any country you can, you can find a Belarusian who will agree with anything. Like, like if you have some insane opinion about what the, the opinion, if you have some insane opinion about what Belarus should be in the future, um, you will find a Belarusian who agrees with that. Uh, it's the same like this, thing. This is, it's like the same thing here, the same thing in the U.S. or yeah. whatever, you know? Like, you're going to have, like, a bunch of people along the political spectrum. In Belarus, but, like, Belarus is not a monolith of, like, the opposition and uh, Lukashenko, you know? like Yeah, like, even with the, 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 the protests that happened in Belarus, like, there's... This is something I think we made very clear on the episode, but we can re reinstate it again. Like resistance to what's happening in Belarus, resistance to Lukashenko is not at no point are we saying is not worthwhile. It's just the opposition figures, kind of like in Russia as well, that become the favorites of countries in the West are kind of shitty. <laughs> yeah. Like are bad uh, in the worst. Like particularly in Russia, like the thing I always get with like Navalny is Navalny kind of wants to recreate the conditions that resulted in Putin. Like he wants to recreate the conditions that like was Russia in the nineties and early two thousands. Um, yeah. And it's like, I just don't understand like how that has any long-term viability. Belarus never went through that because Belarus had like this weird, far more gentle transition out, out of like the cold war, uh, due to their kind of like insane protectionism. But like, it, it's always like, and also, also just like everything I read about like Euromaidan now, what, like almost 10 years away from the event just flies in the face of everything I was told about Euromaidan back when it was happening. Like on what these people like wanted and what they thought was going to happen to the country and things like that. Like So uh, at no point I think are we saying people who actually resist within these countries are duped or stupid, but like... Mm -hmm. The CIA doesn't need to get all those no, people. They just yeah. need to get like one guy with a giant telegram channel or like one woman who supposedly might have a little bit of a claim to the presidency. Like, sure, we can joke the fact that her 
her husband didn't even want her to be like she was going to be in the office for five minutes to then pardon him and then he will be president. But like, that's more of a claim to the presidency than I have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But it it is just, it's, it's, it's insane. I don't know. It's real. Like I know everyone says now is the time of monsters, but every time I look at Eastern Europe, I was like, yeah, damn, now is the time of monsters. (laughs) There is like nothing here. The new is being waited to be born. Yeah, I think that then it really is the the sense too of like with Navalny and like with you know um, I guess Tish, like Tishanovskaya falls into the category because she is willing to align herself with anyone. It seems like yeah, even neo Nazis and whatnot. Clearly, yeah. um, it it really just kind of shows how pathetic the West is in their like willingness to do anything for what is just going to be economic reform. You know, they don't give a shit if like they become, yeah, like you said, like an Orban style, extremely authoritarian quasi fascist state, as long as they have market reform, because Belarus has a incredibly controlled, it's not even like a nationalized economy. It's just like a clientelist economy. It's like kind of ish like Russia's, but like less oligarchs, (laughs) you know, there's less, there's less less money. Yeah. And (laughs) there's, it's just like, uh, uh, it really is. It really is just sad at the point of that. Then that you'll see that what the West will do simply just to open up markets because that's the, that that is simply the end game. There is no discussion of like there's like it's not because of fucking human rights. It's not because of democratization. It's not because of this. It's not because of that. It's I mean, and you don't need to like look too far back in history, even in Europe, because everyone says that this is always a thing that then like this only happened in like, you know, in like countries that you don't care about and this and that and that. I mean, like yeah. there have been like, you know, countries in Europe, I mean, even currently in Europe that are I would argue quasi dictatorships that uh the west is simply okay with because they allow them to like do what they want economically you know hungary turkey poland is becoming more authoritarian Uh, turkey is a very particularly interesting one because like when it's convenient for the right liberal commentator turkey will not be considered the west yeah because they're because because they're 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 you know a spooky muslim Muslim country yeah Yeah, but they're in fucking nato (laughs) yeah exactly so I uh, I and I think that then that with then in seeing this conservative push that we're seeing throughout Europe, it legitimizes the right to get behind Belarus even more because if you look at the people who are the most vocal within Europe for regime change in Belarus are quite conservative members. I mean, you mentioned Macron uh, invited her to G7. The CDU is like flying that flag more than any other party in Germany. Um, The Polish free market parties are incredibly vocal about their support with Tishanovskaya. Um, You know, and the list goes on and on and on. We're like, I think that it's fair to then make, you know, when, when, when like, you know, Jeremy Corbyn made a statement being like the imprisonment of a journalist is like, not right you know that's a fair statement yeah i i I often come back on the the kind of like the method they went about doing this it's insane terrifying Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, yeah, yeah. i also want to bring up um just because the articles mentioned it too it's not it's not the first time since the protests that someone has been detained by the government uh people have died in in custody under you know 
strange situations. And according to their like super villain ass quotes from from uh, some people in the government, this is not like this won't be the last uh, person or maybe even I mean, yeah. it, might, it, might, it might be the last plane they take down, you know, because maybe that uh, raised too much attention. But it's they certainly plan to uh, there, there was some quote like we know where you all we know where you all are and we will get you basically. Well, that was the thing, too, with this is that apparently that then there was a lot of speculation then of a massive amount of contact between Belarusian, I guess they're called the KGB and the SFB, before picking up him in, uh, I mean, in the air, technically, but over Belarus, is that there was, um, yeah, I mean, it definitely is like a kind of, like I mean, if you find like Cold War spooky spy game stuff interesting, this is like the one country in the world where this still happens. <laughs> but um, yeah, so there was like a lot. I think there was like an article from like Jungaved about that or whatever, in the sense of how like there's a, a lot of speculation of how long the FSB had been like tracking him and stuff like that, and how long the KGB had been tracking him. But yeah. So when they, I I do legitimately believe when the police and the the secret service of Belarus says that they know where all these activists are, probably probably not lying. It's probably not. Well, you know who else isn't lying? I I saw that. I'm sure other countries would do similarly, but like Lithuania, I think expelled a couple diplomats because they're like, yeah, they're working as like you know spies, basically implied, and it's like, yeah, everyone already knows everywhere everyone else is, and it's just a big like I don't know. It was I a big one. I don't even know how big, to describe it. Go ahead. There was a big uh, push, like big. Um, oh, I don't even know the correct verb for it, but like getting rid of um, Russian diplomats in the Czech Republic recently as well, due to that like weapon and munitions explosion shit that happened. Um, yeah, the the interesting thing that I saw in the Financial Times, uh, which I think is quite illuminating, is just the like there's not really much you can do to stop this. Like from the outside perspective, I mean, we can talk about Gaddafi and we can talk about like liberal regime change and all that kind of shit. That shit doesn't fucking work. But like the, um, yeah. So like there's this great quote here of, uh, Dmitry Sevkoya, uh, an 18-year-old orphan, died by suicide on Tuesday after being charged with similar crimes to uh, Roman and blamed moral pressure from investigators for his death, according to a note on social media. Oh, learning from the Qu- CIA, that's sick. Getting someone to kill themselves is a very typical CIA thing. Right? Quote, it's a logical continuation of what we've seen in the past few months. Nobody stops the repressions. There's no reason to, and they continue, end quote. Said Artyom uh, Schreibman, a Minsk-based non-resident fellow at the Carnegie Moscow Center. Society isn't rising up again, and new sanctions have all been completely unserious so far. So why should he stop? And it's just like about Lukashenko. Like, there's nothing you can... There's basically nothing you can do. Like, uh, Belarus has basically operated in this weird liminal space between um, the old East, I guess, uh, not China, but Russia, and the West for ages. And... They're very, and they were living comfortable lives. Like uh, all descriptions of like Minsk by whenever we talked to Milo about doing shows there, it was just like, it's kind of just like rich, comfortable uh, Russia. It's just kind of like Moscow or St. Petersburg, but forever uh, kind of thing. It just kind of continues. Everyone was quite comfortable. Like the reason we talked about when the rebe- like 
uh, protests were happening was the economy had gone sour for like the first time in ages. And you, you can look at the history of Belarus being like sanctioned to dog shit uh, with George W. Bush calling him the last dictator of Europe and whatever. And be like, how the hell did they have a functioning economy so far? Like it's, it's, they managed to World make of tanks, things baby. work. World of tanks, <laughs> basically. And tractors, I believe is another big one, but like they've made shit work in much worse situations and it's like yeah i don't i just don't like there's nothing you can really do from the outside yeah uh, that's upsetting you know what <laughs> i think of it um maybe this is a dumb analogy but you know like uh in in bitcoin or something like the idea of whales that someone have like ton, some people just have a tons of it and like they control yeah. market movements much more than any individual but there's like especially when it comes to like um now I'm just going to talk broadly, like like with Wall Street bets or something, the the whole GameStop thing. There's like almost like a, I don't know if populist is the right word idea that like we're all doing this and we're taking down the big, you know, company or whatever it might be. Mm. And like it's almost like uh, this, I don't know, general decentralized uh, movement or uprising. But like there are whales everywhere. Like and they're really like like tons of money was made off that Wall Street bets thing from like the other side. Um, I believe our friend uh, Eric Prince was somehow involved, but <laughs> of like, course he was like, that's kind of how you can look at like big national protests too. Like you might look around and be like, Oh, we're all in this together. And it's like, well, some of those people are whales. I mean, in terms of like international politics, <laughs> like whether they're literally a spy, it's like not everyone actually has the same. Um, it's not like one person, one brick or, you know, one person, one out- area of space in the street or, or, or whatever the uh, the idea is. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know mm. if that's a depressing thought or just, you know, more steps need to be taken past uh, the, the general protest. Yeah. I mean, like I, I, I think it's like fair not to have like a, uh, I mean, like Kieran said of like that it is like both our shit currently of like, you know, that there is, uh, uh, Lukashenko's bad. And I think that the, I would say that then that these very, uh, superficial attempts of an opposition that then are pushed by the West are also bad. And I, I think it's fair to just kind of like throw your hands up and just kind of like, yeah, like I, I mean, us on the podcast are not going to sit here and try to like you know take the chessboard out and fucking solve Belarus, you know. Like no, we got some time. Let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's really unfortunate that then like that that you know these people. I, I, yeah, I don't even know if they're like I would even call them opportunists. I think that they like legitimately want to get rid of Lukashenko. That's obviously true. And uh, this. Like ability of the West still to kind of like sour every movement that then is. I mean, we've seen this in Ukraine. Like Ukraine didn't get fucking solved because like Europe backed um, the chocolate king of the Ukraine. chocolate king. Yeah, you know. Yeah. And Belarus, if it if it imploded like that, would be a worse version of Ukraine. And not because like they're not that there would be like a civil war. There's no land that then Russia is going to want to come and claim from Belarus. You know. It would just be like the bad 90s of what like the Baltics had and stuff Mm. like that. You know, like you mentioned how like Belarus has been kind of more or less unscathed by these things and countries. Comparatively. 
But yeah, yeah, but uh, uh, like compared to the fucking Baltics or like compared to yeah. Russia, where like the fucking uh, uh, like life expectancy. The mob is the government now. <laughs> yeah, but like uh, even currently in like the Baltics, like teachers get paid like four hundred euros a month and stuff like that. You know, mm. and all on the back of that, that it's like, well, you know, market for reforms, they were great. This and that, that the entire country belongs to Sweden now. Like, yep. that's a different type of authoritarianism, you know, like, I mean, yeah, it's not it's with diffuse. the fucking brutality of that then, of you know, having being kidnapped by the by the police and being like, you know, beat up and then thrown in the middle of nowhere like Lukashenko's police likes doing. Yeah, but an inability no, it, to provide it, for yourself is also like a different type of hell, you know. Yeah, it, it, it's the diffuse kind of like faceless horror of. I mean, we watched a good doc. We kind of watched. We skipped through like a, a good documentary on it of a town in Lithuania that used to be like an auto yeah. factory. I think Pletskia or something like that. Pletskia, and how like since the factory closed it's just like hell on earth now of just people spend all day staring at a hole in the ice hoping some fish come out um yeah it's it's yeah it's just i get i guess my problem with all of these kind of like movements that have occurred um these i guess like almost failed color revolutions um is that like anyone who claims to be the head of them should immediately be suspect they're yeah. probably the worst people involved. Like, I mean, I can be critical of like the Navalny protests that happened in Russia. It seemed incredibly middle class, but like Belarus did do better than that. Like, there were general union strikes and stuff that occurred because of what was happening. And like, yeah. I'd be a bit more hopeful of that because it seems like it had like that popular revolt seemed more popular than yeah. what was happening. And in I Russia. think th- I think the minute that it had that Tishanovsky like crowned herself the leader of the opposition is when I started to yeah become very suspect of like what you just said like obviously the trade unionists who are organizing this and that and that like the you know young people in Belarus like everyone who is against Lukashenko is obviously not a Nazi it's just the people that then who I think are some of the most vocal and who have like the largest cables of networks within the international Nazi community are trying to seize the reins yeah and uh i mean like it is unfortunate it really fucking is unfortunate that then like you have this in the background of like a legitimate dire situation you know yeah. of like things are really bad in belarus maybe not as bad as they were last year uh uh or you know but Still, like the fact of that, then that people legitimately like do live in fear like this because of the government is pretty shit. I'm not saying that this doesn't exist in like Western Europe. Like I, I, if you are not white in Germany, it is horrible for you. It is incredibly authoritarian. I don't want to like do like a a thing of like Belarus is like worse than other places for this and that and that reason. You know, like these type of tactics and authoritarianism that then like. Lukashenko does that get a lot of attention are like it's not the only place you know like oh yeah no, I, I'm very much looking forward to the the French election next year where the Republic on March is going to attack Front National from the right yeah exactly so it's like I find it all again like just like exactly that like I do find it super disingenuous as well within like Macron being like wow democracy and he's like literally created a police state 
you know, talk about them. This I mean, like, look at them, the sense, too, of like, you know, uh, uh, people who've been tortured by the police in like countries like Greece who are being hailed for their 40th anniversary of Europe this week. The <laughs> shit that then people like say that Lukashenko so bad, this and that and that for a lot of people in the good Western democratic Europe is their like normal thing to do not be an anarchist activist in a lot of countries. You can end up murdered by the yeah. government, you know, like. Yeah, Lukashenko's authoritarian, whatever, this and that and that. Um, but I think that this authoritarian push is exactly what we're fucking getting to anyway. It's just that they just don't like the fucking economic aspect of mm. him, you know? It's only authoritarian if it comes from the authoritarian region of Eastern Europe. Exactly. Which <laughs> happens to be in Belarus and goes a little bit yeah. into Russia. Yeah, wonderful rolling hills. Ideal for, <laughs> for uh, growing authoritarianism. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good potatoes as well. <laughs> I uh, I guess on that note, uh, on that on that dire note, we will, uh, you know, I guess do we have anything to, to shout out. Uh, I don't know. Let's just do our gen- general round of check out our twitch.tv forward slash corner spatey. We are streaming every Wednesday, 8 p.m. German time of Euro vibes. Uh, we also have lots of clips now. Kieran has gone to the effort of uh, picking out some highlights. Thank you, Kieran. Uh, Thanks, yeah. Kieran. Thanks, Dad. It was very useful that in the Eurovision this year, Germany played right before Finland because that was just a good clip of the whole room popping off for various reasons. <laughs> good, like, eight-minute clip there. Um, yeah, uh, other than that, you know, subscribe to the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash corner spatey, and you can get an extra episode for, f- well, not for free, but for five euro a month. <laughs> for five dollars a month, you can get four extra episodes a month. Uh, rounding your total corner spady digest along with Volotron to 10 episodes per month, usually. Um, thank you for bad. that. Thank you for that asterisk right there. Yeah, right. was, sometimes we're tired. Sometimes it's a five-week month. Um, but yeah, so with that, uh, we will see you on Friday. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao, ciao.